you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are looking at the first six verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. If you would please join with me in the reading of the Word of God. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with confidence, with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul. And Father, I pray that even now your spirit will work in us to strengthen us for the task that is at hand. Each one of us, Father, I pray, cherishes the fact that it is for such a time as this that you have placed us here, each and every one of us. And Father, it is in your sovereign control and your sovereign ability that we walk step by step in the power of your spirit to your honor and your glory. May we not be afraid to speak when necessary. May we have confidence and boldness when necessary. But Father, may we walk in the compassion and courage that Christ has shown us to your glory and praise. Amen. This section is kind of a framework for the next four chapters, actually. And uh, I called it Victory and Spiritual War. And it deals with a lot of things. But what we're going to be looking at over the next months is, what is this? You know, it's funny. Spiritual warfare. Boy, if I had a nickel for every book that was written on spiritual warfare... I'd be an extraordinarily wealthy man. The tragedy is most people think spiritual warfare is uh, the exorcist. It's not. What has happened is Hollywood has gotten this plan or whatever together and everybody has bid on it and think that this is it. And it's not. Okay. And we'll look at this over the months to come and we'll start looking at it a little more today and it'll become more evident. We do not do hand-to-hand combat with fallen angels. Okay? And if you're smart, you will count yourself lucky. Okay? You don't want no part of that animal. All right, so what I want you to think about when you think about spiritual warfare, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. Okay, from the time of his salvation to his death, he was in constant battle. It never stopped. Okay, and if we are going to have victory in spiritual war, we may want to look and see (laughs) how to do this. And that's what we've been working on. I look at my, our brother Paul as a noble vessel. 
I look at him as a soldier. He was called and he was appointed by Christ Jesus personally. He endured hardship constantly because he was always engaged in the battle. From the, uh, like I said, from the time of his salvation, it was deadly, it was dangerous, and it was war. And it never stopped for the Apostle Paul. Okay, but you cannot find anywhere in Paul's life where he was arm wrestling demons. He knew that he had an adversary and a foe who wanted him stopped. Okay, whatever the cost. And he understood that. That's why if you look at it, he knew when the Holy Spirit was sending him and he knew when Satan was trying to stop him. He knew the difference. Most in the evangelical church today have no idea how that works. Okay, now listen. I'm going to give you something right now and I'm going to hammer this probably for the next year and a half. Because I want you to know what Paul battled for. Okay, I see a lot of things that Christians want to battle for that are absolutely irrelevant. And it's a waste of time. I say that as lovingly as I can. But this is what the Apostle Paul battled for. One, he fought for the truth of God. Okay, there's only one truth. The 66 books of the Bible. Two, he fought for the honor of Christ. Three, he fought for the redemption of sinners. And four, he fought for the sanctification of saints. That's spiritual warfare. And that's when, remember we've looked at it, I will be bold with confidence if I have to. Think about what the Corinthians were doing. Dishonoring Christ. Following other doctrines. Not worrying about sanctification. And they were so chaotic in in their worship services, people thought they were foolish. So they weren't really doing a lot for sinners. Okay? How about us? Do we live our life in light of that? To protect the truth, to bring honor to Christ, protect His honor, reach the lost, and sanctify the saints. Okay? That is what compelled Paul. Paul jumped straight headlong into spiritual conflict because of those four principles. And you go look at any of his writings. I don't care. He wrote the bulk of the New Testament. You go read his writings and you will find those four interwoven in everything that he does. All right. The war was intense in Corinth. There were massive attacks on the person of Paul to try to discredit him. They wanted to ruin his name. And here's the reason. If I ruin his name, even if it's a false accusation, I can destroy the people's confidence in him. If I destroy their confidence in him, I can destroy his message. And as soon as I do that, then I can step in and teach the doctrine of demons because I've discredited Paul. That was their hypocrisy. False teaching energized by seducing spirits. 
Okay? I was talking to a pastor here in town. He said, I heard something interesting about your church. And I said, well, <laughs> probably did. And he said, I heard that you practice church discipline. And I said, well, I don't try to practice it. (laughs) (laughs) But the Bible has commanded me that if the person is non-repentant after being confronted, then you set them outside of the church. He said, well, I don't know how you can do that. And I said, what? He says, we just want to get people saved. I said, well, isn't repentance part of salvation? He says, well, we can't do that. And I looked at him and I said, so you don't care about the honor of Christ. You don't care about the power of the word of God. And you are giving deceitful information for the redemption of saints. And you're not worried about sanctifying the saints. So what is it you're doing? I just just know how to (laughs) encourage people, don't I? But see, I do that. To other pastors, you're in leadership. Do you understand you're going to give an account for the souls that have been entrusted to you? These people in Corinth were having a great impact on the church. And they had come against the Apostle Paul. Paul had dealt with it in general. We've been looking at this. There was a letter between 1st and 2nd Corinthians that we do not have. And it was called the severe letter. And after they had heard this letter... They repented in general. Okay. If you spend any time in the church for any length of time, you will always know there will be some doubters. Okay. If you've had a conflict, there will be those with the spiritual gift of murmuring sitting over in the corner, laying like snakes, waiting for a chance to stand back up. Resistance against the truth. Individuals, false teachers, I call them followers against the truth. They're everywhere. Okay? Waiting. Waiting. They're quiet for the moment. They're embarrassed. I mean, these letters, you need to understand, these letters, when Titus brought them in, would be read before the congregation. And it would be embarrassing. The first nine chapters of 2 Corinthians is full of gentleness, meekness, compassion, sympathy. Chapter 9 through the end of the book, or chapter 10 through the end of the book, is very firm. It's very direct. And it's got my favorite characteristic of the Apostle Paul. Sarcasm. I like sarcasm. I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. You understand there is no such thing, right? <laughs> All right. Okay, why? Because he's coming against the enemies of the truth. He's giving time for them to repent. It's going to be about three months before he shows back up. But he's telling them, understand when I come back, if this isn't dealt with, I will deal with it. Okay, he is a soldier. He will fight if he needs to. He will go to war if he has to. Okay, today... It is bizarre to see the ministries of spiritual warfare. Um, I, I see people who, quote unquote, are engaging in it and training others how to. They often quote this text, these first six verses. And yet there is absolutely no connection what they're teaching and engaging in connected to this text. 
And it is mind-boggling to me. Because it is excruciatingly important. The most important single thing that you can ever do in your life is rightly divide the Word of God. Okay? It isn't mystery. It's written so we can understand it. God didn't say, I'm going to hide all this stuff and I hope you find it. He wrote it so it would be plain. There are too many out there who do not understand what spiritual warfare is. And they definitely do not understand what it is not. So these first six verses, I guess if I was going to categorize it, define the traits of a good soldier. What I'm talking about is a victorious soldier. You don't want to go into battle saying, well, I don't expect to win. Do you? Well, if you do, just stay away from me. Okay, because you go into battle with the pure anticipation of victory. How do I prepare for spiritual battle so that I know I will be victorious? These four points that you see in your outline is what made the Apostle Paul effective. And let's be realistic. This boy was in it. He was eyeball deep in it. First verse there, just a quick review, is that he was compassionate. He says, I urge you, I beg you, I myself, Paul, by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Okay? That's his standard. That meekness and gentleness, the gentleness has to do with patience. Patience. Okay? Long-suffering. Just as long-suffering as Christ is with every one of us in this room. That gentleness is ultimate power under ultimate control. Okay? I remember seeing a t-shirt one time. guy was a Native American fanatic. And on the t-shirt it had this Indian riding bareback with his war bonnet and all the rest of it, holding up a compound bow. And he said, what if? <laughs> I was like, yeah. still ain't going to beat a rifle. <laughs> but anyway, whatever. But I'll, I'll never forget that. When you, when you go to battle, you don't want to go in and say, well, I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody. Once you have gotten to the position that the patience is done, remember the four things? Once those four things come under assault... It's Katie, bar the door. Okay? His power was against sin. And it was restrained by compassion. His compassion. The second thing there in verse 2 is that he was courageous. He did not want to be bold. He did not want to confront. He doesn't want to battle. People have it in their minds. And some people have sent out of my teaching. They says, well, it sounds like you're always kind of confronting people. Leaders. Spiritual leaders I will confront. Because they are without excuse. Okay? Saints, I'll walk alongside you. Okay? And if you tell me you're going to do something and it's wrong, I'll tell you that what you're going to do is wrong. But I'll walk with you. Okay? Leaders know better. Okay? That's why Jesus confronted the religious experts of his age. And he would constantly tell them, have you not read? Right? 
You're the experts. You're supposed to know this. If I have to come with confidence of battle, I don't want battle. But if I have to, I will battle. And at the end of verse 2, you see his target. Some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. There were some in the church in Corinth who said Paul wasn't saved. That his mode of operation was lustful, deceitful, and bent on his own pride. All right? That was his target if he has to fight. That is his target that he's laying out here in chapter 10 to the end of the book. He says, I'm coming back. And if I have to fight, I'll fight. Okay? Which brings me to verses 3 through 5. We will not get through this today. You knew that. But I I look at this, and and it's totally awesome. I've got it down there... uh, Point three as competent. Okay. Uh, What I kind of look at is, are you capable? My son's in the army. Once a week, they have to do what they call PTs, physical training. And they have a criteria. Okay. You have to be able to do this, 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 and this. And get it accomplished in this amount of time. Because when you get into combat, I want you to be competent to do your task. Okay. So uh, one of the things when I was looking through this, I I thought about this. You can have compassion. You can have courage. But it's useless if you're not competent. All right. Is the soldier capable of doing this? Go as far as you want to have peace. Sometimes you can't. Then it's a battle. Are you Competent for the battle. Okay. You may have great courage. And you may just get after it. Okay. But if you're not competent. Your courage will have absolutely no value to you. During the French Revolution. They called that cannon fodder. Great and courageous. As they are completely obliterated. I guess if you want to look at it technically, do you have the weapons? Now, Peter tells me that God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. My question is, do you have the ability, the competence? If you're not competent, your courage is silly. Okay? History of the church is full of serious bunch of fools with great courage, but we're not equipped. Okay, you jump into the battle armed with nothing but courage. You become a corpse. Okay. A Christian soldier must be compassionate, patient. He must be courageous. But when it's time to fight, he must be armed. He must know what he's getting ready to deal with. Today, there are so many people. I remember one time there was a group that wanted to pray for Castle Rock. Okay. And so we walked up. There's about 30 or 40 of us. And we walk up the path to Castle Rock. And I get stuck with this guy who thought he was Moses. Because he had a a burlap hooded thing on and, and was wearing sandals and had a stick and 
And I'm sitting there going, why do I get stuck with the clowns? Anyway, we get up to the bottom of the rock and he's sitting there and he's looking at the rock and he's got this far away look in his eyes. I used to do that before I got saved. <laughs> and so he's sitting there looking at it and he says, I see chains of bondage. I'm looking up. I said, it might be some climbing gear stuck up there or something. I'm... <laughs> and he got all mystical on me on the town is being bound. And I was like, clown like you, you bet you, buddy. Uh, but I, I just I kept thinking, what in the world is this Yahoo about? And then, you know, I talked to him a little more and I realized that he was from a different planet. I see people running around thinking that they are in spiritual war. They may have compassion, they may have courage, but they are definitely not equipped for the victory. They don't understand the enemy. Most Christians today do not understand their enemy. Most Christians today do not understand the character of their enemy. Many don't even understand who the enemy is. So if you ain't got those three going, what weapon are you going to use? Paul warns the rebels in Corinth, I have compassion and courage. Oh, and I am competent. And let's be realistic. Paul was competent. When I come, Paul says, and if I have to make war, it will be with weapons that you will not be able to stand against. Crucial, people. Crucial. Two and three, he plays words. All right? At the end of verse two, he says, they accuse us as if we walk according to the flesh. Look what he says in verse three. Though we walk in the flesh. Okay? It's a fascinating way that he does it. Uh, I think this is that side order of sarcasm just sort of kind of creeping in. You accuse me of being deceitful and even though I walk in the flesh. Okay? Uh, walk in the flesh, for the most part, has to do with fleshly desires, lustful desires, um, corruption. And what the false were charging Paul of, of being a hypocrite. Those who had come against him were saying that what he was doing was for personal gain. And then verse 3, he says, but we walk in the flesh. Okay, so he moves from the moral to the physical. Okay, basically what he's saying is, I'm human. Okay, in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, we're clay pots, earthen vessels. He says, yeah, this, this container is human. He denies the accusation that he is corrupt or a deceiver, but he agrees that in reality he is human. He is not superhuman. He is not taking on, you know, look at me now. I can walk on water and go through walls and, you know, destroy your mind by thinking about it. All right. He is not walking in the flesh spiritually. He is walking in the flesh physically. He gets tired. Okay. He gets hungry. All right. He was stoned and left for dead. All right. He bears on his body the marks of Christ. And he's already mentioned in chapter 1, verse 12 of this text, this book. He had a clear conscience. No one condemns me. In chapter 4, he says, we don't have no hidden shame. 
In Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25, he says, I walk in the spirit. I did not fulfill the lust of my flesh. My conscience is clear. But I am a clay pot. I am an earthen vessel. But this earthen vessel is not controlled by its flesh. You look around today, many in the church are controlled by what? Their flesh. They're not walking in the spirit. Chapter 5, verse 1 of this letter. He says, I'm a tent to be torn down. Chapter 4, verse 16. This outer man is decaying. Right? What makes him so capable then in the battle? Though he is a man, physical human being, He does not at war according to the flesh. Now, I kind of look at this right here, this little section. We do not war according to the flesh. And and all the way through verse 5. But when I look at this, it's almost like it's a call, a, a, a warning to those who would do battle with him. Okay? He gives the warning. Okay, I remember, uh, I don't remember, you guys remember Twilight Zone? The old, old Twilight Zone. I remember one of my favorite, uh, these guys are in a tank. And they're out on maneuvers and uh, uh, all of a sudden they go through time and they end up at the little bighorn. Okay, and they got a tank. And, you know, they see this little group of cavalry and they got this little group of cavalry and all the rest of it. And I thought, well, how interesting would that be? I mean, you know, here I am riding around on the hills and dells with screaming engines and bows and arrows, and I've got a tank. All right, you know, we'll make this short work of this. But what happens is they get out of the tank and take their sidearms and go up to the hill with Custer. Thought that through, didn't you? Because, you know, if you come back in time, you know how this thing turns out. Okay, and, and, and I thought, you know what, there are those in the Christian sphere right now who are in that same mess. We have the tank, but I want to get out of the tank and, and run and hit you. No, I ain't going to run and hit you. I'm lobbing a projectile. And at worst case scenario, I'm going to get your undivided attention. He says, we do not war. That word do not war, those three words, is one word in the Greek. Okay. And it's a verb. And it's the word that we get strategy from. Okay. It's used four times in the New Testament. He says, you want war or then I have a strategy. I will go to war. But I will warn you, I do not fight like you. Okay? I don't fight on your level. Now think about that for a second. What is the church doing today? 
What level does the church operate on? The flesh. You think about the life and ministry for Paul was war, and it is for all of us. And he says, but I'm not going to fight it the way you fight. We don't have to fight with human weapons. We are human, but we do not use human weapons. Okay? And let me tell you something. If you're a believer today, it is war, and it is always war. It's unrelenting. There is no time out. There's no R&R. It's war. We are all engaged and the kingdom of darkness is our foe. And we fight for truth, the honor of Christ, the redemption of sinners and sanctification of saints. That's what we fight for. We want to preserve and proclaim truth. We want our lives to help honor the Lord so other people will take up that banner. We are looking at the salvation of sinners, and we're trying to do this over and over and over. Now, look, I want to show you something. You looked at it a few months ago, but I want you to think about this for a minute. Chapter 6 of this letter, okay, verse 7. Chapter 6, verse 7. In the word of truth, in the power of God... By the weapons of righteousness for the right and the left. We have weapons of righteousness, the word of truth, and the power of God in both hands. In both hands. The right and the left hands. Okay? He was in battle all the time. If you remember Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. Because we do not battle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers. We are engaged in warfare, but our engagement is on a supernatural level. Okay, on that level. All right, but I have the word of God, the word of truth in the power of God. Okay, and it is the word of righteousness. Okay, you know what that means, right? It means right. This is right. And we are against seducing spirits. We are engaged in this. In 1 Timothy, uh, you can go look these up on your own. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. He's urging Timothy to fight the good fight. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, endure hardship of a soldier. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. Paul was at war. He was at war for the truth. He was at war for the honor of Christ, salvation of sinners, and the sanctification of the saints. And it was a battle. You cannot fight on that level with human weapons. Hear me. How do human weapons deal with the, uh, the word of truth being preserved, honoring of Christ, redeeming of sinners, and the sanctification of saints? How do you use a human weapon in that? You can't. Back to our text. Though we walk in the flesh, though we are human, we do not war according to the 
flesh. Okay? The flesh is temporal. We do not use human weapons. Paul would not fight with human ingenuity. Paul would not fight with clever methods. Paul would not fight with technology. Look at more there in verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare. Now, you got to look at this because Paul does this a lot. He has the positive and the negative. I don't do this, but I do do this. Okay? Look what he says. The weapons are not of the flesh. I do not fight on the level with this. Our weapons are not on the level of humanity. They're not on the human ingenuity or technology. Listen, human weapons, please hear this. Human weapons have no effect. None. Human weapons cannot fight the kingdom of darkness. I don't care what your human weapon is. How does a human weapon deal with principalities and power and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies? What are you going to use? A shotgun? There ain't nothing out there. And yet we do it. How can a human weapon free a soul from darkness? How can a human weapon transform a sinner? How can a human weapon sanctify a saint? It can't. It has no effect. None whatsoever. Nothing in the spiritual, the satanic realm is going to deal with the supernatural system. You cannot take it human thought and deal with an eternal soul. Okay. I'm going to take a little side note right now. I was sitting and thinking in my office the other day about this. What are the weapons of the world? Okay. I just jotted them down as they come to mind. All right. What are the weapons of the world? That I see that are trying to engage in the eternals. That are trying to what? Preserve truth? They're trying to honor Christ? Redeem sinners? Sanctify saints? Here, let me show you some of the weapons that I know. Okay? One, human reason. No effect. Human wisdom. No effect. How about human rationalization? No effect. How about human plans? I know human strategies. How about human ingenuity? Well, if those don't work, then human organization. How about skilled orators? How about personalities? Cleverness? I know. I missed it. Entertainment. How about religious showmanship? I know a guy rides his Harley up on the stage just before he asks for an offering. I still don't know how those two go together. I don't know. How about human philosophy? 
human psychology, speculations, human mysticism, the one that is really big and flourishing today right now is artificial atmosphere. Artificial atmosphere. Dim the lights, turn up the music, have a big projector with waterfalls and ocean sides and say, God is good. That always works. How about mood enhancing? Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. All human approaches are useless when it comes to preserving truth, honoring Christ, redeeming sinners, and sanctifying saints. Simply the flesh. It is useless. You can use those weapons to fight. But you know what? Everything that I just gave you right there is the techniques that they use to sell cans of soup. Okay? That is the same techniques that they use to get people to go to college, this college. Or you should be in this line of work. Same techniques. You know what? It is the same techniques, are you ready? That every politician uses. It's what we use to get people to give to charity. It's what we use to get people motivated. It is how our society operates. How does that deal with spiritual darkness in the heavenlies? Tools, weapons of the flesh. It'd be like if you took an airsoft gun or a Nerf gun and decided you were going to shoot the Berlin Wall down. If I stay at it long enough, what? I have seen these in actions over my life in the church. There are times that I see superficial victories, but it becomes very clear, very quickly, how deep and ingrained evil truly is. Because when you're dealing with a deceitful heart, who can know it, as Jeremiah says? What's an airsoft gun going to do to it? The weapons of the flesh are ineffective. The behavior modification. And you know what? Let's put everybody in prison. Why? I can change everybody's behavior in prison. But as soon as I let them out, what happens? I've dealt with people before who've come to Christ under jail or prison ministries. And they they stay in contact with me. They stay in contact with me. They write me. They do this. They do that. And I tell them every single one of them, it's easiest thing in the world to walk with Christ in prison. What else are you going to do? But as soon as you get out, look at all the shiny things in the world. And usually they fall harder the second time. Too many in the church today want to fight a spiritual war and use temporal weapons. 
And they sometimes have an appearance of victory. But Paul is basically telling the Corinthians right here, I reject all your toys. Paul says, I come with true spiritual weapons. The negative side of this is the flesh. The positive side of this, look in verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare, saying if I have to come to war, weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Okay? But divinely powerful. I love it. In the Greek, the literal phrase is powerful unto God. Why don't you think about this for a second? The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God to salvation. Okay? That's this. 66 books make up the gospel. The weapons of God. He's saying, I have divinely powerful. I have powerful unto God. I get my weapons from heaven. I look at this and it's just mind-boggling. He says, I'm coming and I have access, direct access to God's armory. And you're going to what? I have access to God's arsenal. He's telling the Corinthians, I bring down weapons from heaven when I fight. Go look at the evangelical community in our country today and what weapons are they using? Paul says, you want me to fight? Your toys against my weapons. Your earthly techniques against divine intervention. Really? Really? I pull my weapons from heaven. I pull my weapons from God's armory. Okay, now listen. I'm closing with this part now. I showed you the weapons of the world. I showed you what Paul had access to. Why? There is a war for truth right now, people. 18%, okay, 18% of evangelicals today believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Don't tell me they ain't a war on the truth. The divorce rate in the church now has passed the lost. You want to tell me there ain't a war on the honor of Christ? How many people are truly saved? How's come I can get into trouble when I challenge a person's salvation? It don't look real to me. And they get angry with me. I just look at him since he told you. Sorry. Why? There are a whole bunch of people cruising around right now. 83% of Americans believe that they are saved. Christians. Now think about that for a second. What's wrong with that picture? Sanctification of saints. How many people can you look at that you know are Christians that you can look at and says, I want to mimic that person's life because they look like Christ. And yet the Apostle Paul told the church in Philippi, what? The things you have heard, the things you have learned, and the things you have seen in me, do those things. 
You're going to do that with a toy gun? I'm with Paul. I'm going to the heavenly armory and nuke them. <laughs> All right? What you're up against, brothers and sisters, is beyond your understanding. And if you're trying to do it with any of the methods of the world, you're done. You will become a corpse. You cannot step into this war with fleshly weapons. You must go with divinely powerful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your weapons. Lord, I pray that each of us here will take up a passion for your truth, for the honor of Christ, salvation of sinners, and the sanctification of the saints. And Father, that we do not step into this with a toy or a technique. Help us, my King. Help us, knowing that the victory, that you are a mighty fortress, and that the victory is Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to bow our knee before you, the author and the finisher of our faith, to your glory and praise. Amen.